0: Hi, welcome to Your Baby's Brilliant Brain. I'm Dr. Christine Anderson, and with me is... Dr. Toxleruck. And we're so glad you joined us here today to learn all about how to optimize your baby's brain from conception through the first few years of life. And today we have a special guest, Ellen Heed, PhD. We're going to learn all about her and what she does and how she can help you possibly with this whole concept of... Baby's Neurologic Development. Um, So we actually learned about Ellen during our first interview with Erin. If you don't remember her and you haven't checked it out yet, it was a podcast on um, baby wearing and uh, attachment parenting. And she talked about how Ellen helped her with her first traumatic birth and getting her ready for the birth of her second baby and how that really helped her and she was able to have that really successful second birth. So if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it as well. Of course, after you listen to this one. So Ellen, he PhD, you are a somatic educator providing a deep dive into the diversity of our human experience. After dancing from ages three to 30, You worked in the garment business, designing high-end knitwear for better women's specialty boutiques across the US. You tired of putting clothes on bodies and got curious about what was happening inside of our bodies. You dove headlong into yoga and bodywork as your own personal practices, and you learned and then taught anatomy and physiology. This led you to the realm of pelvic floor scar remediation and specializing in genitopelvic injuries for postpartum women. You taught aspiring somatic arts practitioners worldwide and then completed your PhD in somatic uh, psychology. You have trained diverse professionals in scar tissue remediation and you have recently created a curriculum that is close to being ready for online learning. Ellen Heed, welcome to your baby's brilliant brain.
1: Hi there. It's so great to be here. Thanks so much for having me
0: on. Well, it is a treat for us, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you a little bit more because I know you have some great skills and um, expertise in helping women which is what we're here about because we have to empower women so that they can bring these babies into the world Mm -hmm. and give them the best start
1: Mm -hmm. and that's birth that we contribute so much to healthy neurology in the developing child and uh things can get so stalled out in labor sometimes when people aren't properly prepared so one of the things i'm Enthusiastic about is helping people prepare for labor. And when things don't go so well, helping them repair after labor in case, uh, or childbirth in case there's injury that helps them functionally interact with their young child. Um, Because the early postpartum period is so crucial in a baby's development. And if the mom is injured, that can interfere with her ability to really be there for her child and also for herself. Erin painted such a um, vivid picture uh, with her birth injury from her first birth and how it limited her ability to even interact with her child even though she was wearing her baby all the time.
0: Sure. Absolutely. That bonding there. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty incredible because knowing her history of that first birth, it's amazing. She even thought about having a second child. It's incredible. It it's, it's, it's remarkable. She's, she's a warrior for sure. I couldn't agree more. Well, we're going to definitely talk about all those things, but I am just, uh, I'm so interested in people's backgrounds and what leads them to these decisions to go down maybe a tributary or a path to becoming the healers that they are. And I love actually, and I think this really brings to your experience, the fact that you were a dancer, right? Yeah. You and then an artist really, which I can relate to. So it's just talk a little bit about how you got started with all this. What led you down that that path?
1: Well, my mom stuck me in creative dance as a three-year-old. And that was really uh, the first time I felt some kind of autonomy and joy in being in my own body. I remember, you know, drumming and hopping around this dance studio in Tucson with a bunch of little kids and loving it so much, just getting so intoxicated with movement and the feeling of movement and the rhythm The smell of the studio smelled like creosote. It was just kind of an amazing place to be. And I fell in love with embodiment as a very young child, but my embodiment. And as I moved through different kinds of dance training, I did ballet training and modern training and things evolved. I eventually ended up uh, going to California Institute of the Arts for training as a dancer. And being in a cross-disciplinary environment where people from the dance school to take, could take classes in the theater school or interact with musicians, but in a collaboration way, it's just like having so much creativity all around me, got me thinking very outside the box at a young age. I was only 17 when I went to school and it was it really shaped the way I thought about what was possible. So I didn't have an academic background, even though my dad was a research scientist. So I had grew up with a language of biology in my household. He's an evolutionary biologist and geneticist and worked with fruit flies. And so somehow academic Latin or biological Latin was like a second language. It was my second language. So learning about names of muscles and the way they worked biomechanically came very naturally just because I didn't have any... Um, no, you know, it wasn't exotic. It was very familiar to me. That kind of language. So I was always curious about what created injuries in the body, how people had, what healed from them as doctors. Because I had my own injury story. I had um, I'm hypermobile, and there at the time I was. Training to dance, there was not much of a concept of how to work with hypermobility in an intelligent way. So I just stretched my way into oblivion and blew out the ligaments and tendons in my knees. And at that point, you know, I was only in my mid-20s, but I'd been dancing since I was three. So I was felt like a, a long time. And the constraints financially of being a dancer in the mid-80s in Los Angeles, it was, it was rough. It was something I didn't like being... Broke all the time, and I didn't like not having a feeling of financial autonomy. So I sort of made a transition from the sort of chronic financial dependence of being a dancer to being self-financed as a uh, production manager in the garment industry, and then eventually a designer. Then eventually, I went my a company, and that was great. I mean, I had an intrinsic sense of how to fit clothes on the body because I was in my body, and I could see and feel how other people were in their bodies. And my whole idea with design was to make feel, people feel beautiful no matter what shape, size, age they were in the clothing that I made. And that, I was successful at it, but at some point I really wanted to get back from the outside of the body to the inside of the body. And I was fortunate to um, come across a number of teachers who were able to explain things to me that I wanted to know. So I learned a lot about yoga. Then I learned about body work and pretty soon it was anatomy and physiology and body work and yoga. And it all started to weave together when I started teaching anatomy for yoga teachers. And I started teaching anatomy at the Shiatsu School in, in Santa Monica. And that quickly turned into an international teaching career where I was traveling and teaching at yoga teacher trainings all over the world. And it expanded from teaching anatomy to teaching pain and orthopedic evaluation And that included understanding about scar tissue. And there are lots of people, lots of injuries in the yoga world, just like in dance. And so I would be talking to people about their biomechanics and how mistakes in alignment could end up creating injuries and then how to heal those injuries. So I had this injury repair cycle in my experience. And then one of my mentors suggested that I... Uh, start to work with women with pelvic floor injuries, because there really wasn't outside of a PT model much available in the body work world for that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, what about scope of practice, body workers really don't do that. Then I learned about this thing called sexological body work, which would in California grant me scope of practice to work directly with the pelvic floor. And so I did the sexological body work training. And just like everything else I did, I ended up, Teaching anatomy, physiology <laughs> for sexological bodywork, as I'm still on the faculty um, in that capacity for a number of institutions that offer sexological bodywork training now.
0: Ellen, can I stop you there? Because yeah. I know a lot about different bodyworks and um familiar with them and and but the sexological bodywork was a new term for me mm-hmm. and so i'm sure maybe our listeners would would like maybe a little bit of a understanding about what that really entails
1: yes sexological bodywork is primarily for education sexological bodyworkers work with their clients as students to do somatically based explorations of sexuality in the state of California, our scope of practice includes contact with pelvic floor tissues. So if somebody wants to learn about their vulva, we can do a hands-on mapping session where we will touch and name all the parts and describe all their functions. And for people with vulvas, you know, in sexological body where we don't assume that somebody identifies as a woman because they have a vulva, they may identify as gender fluid, or they may identify sometimes as male and sometimes as female, or just non-binary altogether. So we say people with vulvas and people with penises to be more inclusive in that way. So we do something called functional mapping, which is to talk about the pieces, what they're called, how they work, and what how they contribute to uh, reproductive and, sex, and um, sexual function. Then we also do pleasure mapping, which is to talk about the sensations, to bring mindful awareness to sensations in different tissues because it feels different to touch the clitoris than it would to touch the perineal sponge or the G-spot or the crest of tissue at the top of the vaginal vault, for instance. Different sensations that can yield different kinds of pleasure, but people don't know that that's even available because there's often a thin layer of of scar tissue over the G-crest because of lack of lubrication, under you know, uh, undereducated penetration and sexual experiences at a young age where people don't really have as much sensation as is available to them because they never knew that was an engorgeable tissue. They never knew, they never experienced engorgement. So going through the stages and the plateaus of building sexual arousal from one kind of tissue to the next kind of tissue to the next kind of tissue engorging in a sequence that then creates a higher level of arousal. That's part of the education that we offer is an explanation of it in sort of a clinical way, but then also in a hands-on way. We could actually stimulate the tissues, invite embodied breathing and attention to the territory. And that's another kind of mapping. And then the third kind of mapping, which I introduced into the profession because I felt so strongly it was important, is scar tissue mapping because as people with bulbas, childbirth is reality, and childbirth can often bring injury or stitches or c-sections or tearing. There's so, so many things, or you know, hemorrhoids. All these things happen in the pelvic floor as a result of birth giving. And so, what can people do for themselves? But they have to know what to where the problem is. So scar tissue mapping is a literal physical mapping where the practitioner looks for scar tissue, identifies its location, works with the scar manually in terms of soft tissue work, and then shows the the person with the scar what they can do for themselves in terms of self-care. So it's very much a each one teach one kind of a model about empowerment for self-care in the postpartum period. There's also a certain amount of explanation of the postpartum body and what the relationship of that body is to sexuality, which is very different than pre-pregnancy, right? So people need to be educated that the body they have after giving birth is not going to have the same kind of sexual response, especially while breastfeeding, as the body prior to pregnancy. And people are so relieved to know that they're not broken, because often they feel broken because they don't understand what happened after uh, they had their baby and suddenly their desire dries up, for instance. doesn't happen to everybody, but it happens to enough people. But they're left like, nobody told me this would happen. What Am I broken? What, how did this occur? So offering education.
2: Yeah, I think that's really important um, because that type of education this is something that even I haven't heard of and I'm pretty holistic and very, I guess the term you use is alternative, but I had never heard of some of, some of the things that you do, I've never heard of. Um, so that was actually my next question because you're described as a somatic educator and then you have a PhD in somatic psychology. Um, um, what is somatic psychology? How's it different from, is it different from the psychology that we typically think of when we hear that term? Somatics,
1: the word soma means of the body. Somatic psychology asks the, the person seeking therapy to pay attention to the sensations in their body. Whether they're, if they're feeling anxious, where do you feel that in your body? What's the sensation of that anxiety if you change your breathing, if you ground your feet on the floor, if you straighten your spine, if you let your shoulders drop and let your diaphragm open, how does that affect that sensation of anxiety? That's an example of a somatic approach to working with anxiety rather than talking about family history or trauma as um, a series of events historically. It's about what is, are you feeling right here right now in this body, in the present moment, that is an expression of that anxiety, then how can we work together to make a few interventions or suggestions to step it back away from a precipice of panic and back to a sense of be feeling grounded and safe.
2: Do you combine that then when you're working um, with women, especially in regards to the pelvic floor and the scar tissue? Cause I imagine that those, that's a major event. And especially for first time moms and, so you often combine the two then? Sure. So when I'm working with someone,
1: I'll direct their attention, especially if we're working with scar tissue in the pelvic floor. I'll have my hand, for instance, let's say it's an physiotomy scar that's at the bottom of the vagina. My finger would be resting on the scar tissue, and I would say, I feel a little bit of thickness. There's more density here. I'm describing what I'm feeling. And then I ask, what's the sensation when I touch over here, the not scar place? compared to this where the scar is. And sometimes the scar is numb, or sometimes the scar is painful, or sometimes the scar has greater sensitivity without numbness or pain. And after working, I use castor oil uh, as the medium for massage in the pelvic floor because it's anti-inflammatory and slightly analgesic, so pain is present. It can help attenuate the pain enough so the person feels comfortable while we're working instead of frightened and in pain. And because as sexological body workers, we always explain what we're going to do before we do it. So there's a preparation. And even that is so far outside of the medical model. I mean, um, doctors are getting better about saying, or gynecologists in particular, I'm going to insert the speculum now. You know, they'll tell you, oh, and it's a little bit cold. So you could expect how that would feel, rather than whoop! Oh, what is that? What is that sensation? Oh my gosh! I'm so disoriented. It reminds me of the time you don't even know what it's reminding you of consciously, but it could spin you into a uh, some distress if it pulls up another time your vulva was touched with no permission or no warning, right? So always preparing the body for what's happening next and asking for feedback in a dialectic instead of I'm telling you how it is. It's very much co-created and co-regulated in the moment. And this gets to your question about using somatics as a way to slow down someone's nervous system if they're starting to dissociate or if they're starting to distract themselves, because a lot of people will feel so, unused to that kind of a situation they'll start talking about the weather they'll talk about their dog or they'll talk about you know my kid did sing and it was so cute but the amazing thing is the body has so much information in it you could be working with a scar and they could be talking about the weather and then boom they drop into the memory of the moment when the stitching was happening and what the midwife said or what the just said or what the nurse said and the body will release the scar when an authentic emotion arises as a result of what's called somatic recall. Somatic recall is when the body produces a memory. And I see you nodding, so I know you know what I mean. I'm sure you've encountered it in your practice. Um, so, so, that's, so, But name, there's names for these things. There's names for these things and framing it then to say to the client on the table, this is an incidence of somatic recall. This is a memory that was stored in your body. So then they can relax and they're not confused about what just happened. Wait, I was talking about the weather and then I'm suddenly back in my birth and I don't know how I got there and am I safe here? And the answer is your body has something that wants you to know about that birth that you don't know yet. And that memory and the emotion attached to that memory is what your body's holding And If you can allow that to arise spontaneously, it will actually change the viscosity of the scar tissue in real time. That's the amazing thing, and that's why I wrote a doctoral dissertation, trying to hypothesize and understand what could possibly be happening. When you feel a scar that's dense, tight, like a violin string, and painful, that disappears that quickly. I mean, like that, the minute one tear out of the eye and boom, it just is gone. Like, there's nothing in our understanding of physiology that explains that. I had to dig and dig and dig into bioenergetics to find anything that might possibly describe how that's physiologically possible. So that's, I spent six years writing my dissertation. That's, it took a lot of digging and then a lot of... Um, how do I explain this? A lot of um, weaving together of different modalities. I was looking at conventional medicine, I was looking at somatics, I was looking at different bodywork modalities, sacral work, osteopathy, um uh, somatics and Feldenkrais, and you know, the things that people have utilized to make people aware of their bodies, trying to understand. What could be happening at the level of physiology to create rapid positive change in the body? And so it was tricky. I was um, originally in a program to become a somatic sexologist, but the institute where I was writing my dissertation couldn't get approval for that program but I'd already been accepted into it, so it's kind of a problem. But when they couldn't get approval to run the program, they said, well, your options are somatic psychology or somatic psychology, emphasis sexology. So so I became a somatic psychologist. But the problem, the, the sort of the cognitive dissonance there is that psychologists do not touch people's pelvic floor. So that's why it's sort of confusing. I have a degree as a psychologist, but what I do is much more akin to PT, But it is bringing the emotional body along with the physical body. And that's a little bit different than most PTs. Most PTs have very specific algorithms that they ask their patients to perform. And the emotional body isn't necessarily included in that process, at least not deliberately so.
0: Well, yeah, you're bringing together really the whole mind-body. I don't even call it mind and body. Right. It's It's mind-thing. It's mind, body, spirit. They're all encompassing. You cannot disassociate one from the other and help the person heal on a whole level, especially when you're dealing with emotional trauma, creating a physiologic effect. So what a, what a beautiful marriage of your somatic work with the, the work in the, um, the, with the somatic psychology, I mean, it just, it all it all comes together beautifully, really. I mean, it does, it's a good it thing they didn't have the sexology course because who knows? Well, well what I have could
1: have been done? shunted off into some sexologist sort of proscribed ability to practice because a lot of sex, sexologists typically don't touch their clients either. They can talk about and educate, but they can't actually do hands-on. And the hands-on piece is critical because if you don't make contact with the scar, you will the, the body can't remember itself. That's the issue. And as hands-on practitioners, I know you know exactly what I mean. Um, well, yeah,
0: you, because if they don't even know where it is, if they can't even relate to where the problem is, yes. how are they supposed to know what to do with it? You know, if it's, goes,
1: <laughs> yes, if you don't even know where the problem is, but it goes deeper than that because as women, we're not taught Even the names of all our parts, where they are, what they do, what their function is, how it's related to reproduction, and how it's related to pleasure—we don't know that information. We still don't know that information. We've been—it's been more and more becoming more and more transparent or available to people to learn as time marches forward. However, the amount of information people have about their pieces, parts, functions, and relationships, and pleasure potential is still pretty paltry unfortunately, so education is a piece of this. You have to know what the perineal sponge is for to understand why your episiotomy is is interfering not just with sexual function, but the entire neurological hookup of what I, because I taught at the Shiatsu school, I really think of things still in terms of Chinese medicine. So, the macrocosmic or microcosmic orbit around the body that goes from the crown of the head to the perineum gets disturbed by an episiotomy and the scar that that causes. And one of my mentors went as far as to say, Yes, this is implicated in brain cancer. I'm referring a brain cancer person to you who has an episiotomy. You need to resolve that scar. That's my first sexological bodywork client. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I was going to address her brain cancer by working on her perineum, but I had faith that he was right and needed to happen. So I worked with her and ultimately she, I guess she recovered, but there's an, it's more than just the kind of reductive cause and effect that conventional medicine likes to label our body. There's, there's energetics at play here. And so the pelvic floor is a locus of so much connection with many energy systems in the body, not just sexual, but also digestive and also neurologic.
0: So could you talk it, a little bit more about those neurologic connections? Well, sure. Uh, I work with a lot of nerve, literally nerve
1: impingement syndromes. So if somebody's got obturator impingement, or they've got uh, a problem with their, in Alcox Canal, they've got a problem with where the obturator... Right now, it's so weird how things happen in clusters. This week is obturator um, externus week. Not internus, but externus. I'm getting all these nerve impingement syndromes with people having pain, numbness, and electrical signaling in their inner thigh. And we have to work with exercises and mapping the obturator externus from an internal approach, at its attachment around the the, um, obturator foramen. I mean, it's getting very technical here, (laughs) but that's the kind of work I do. And I tell them, this is your obturator foramen. Here's your sit bone. Here's where the tendon attaches. How does it feel here compared to here? And they'll say, oh, it hurts much more over in the first place. And then I show them how they can get contact with that on their own and work with it.
0: So for our listeners, your opteratus, external, internal, or basically that general area is the part of your your butt bone, the ones that you're sitting on. That's pretty much what we're talking about. And that's uh, we're talking about the areas connected to that. And of course, it's all related to that pelvic floor and the nerves. There's a whole bunch of nerves that people don't realize go to the perineum extending out through the legs and of course, you know, off the spine. So yes, yeah, so that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, so there's all kinds of really crazy pain syndromes that people seek for years to find resolution to that have to do with nerve, frank, nerve impingement. And this PT is often effective, but there's also an emotional component to this. I consider the operators as the guard dogs of the floor. They're like, the, and if you don't, like, Um, propitiate the energy of that protection it can't soften and let go and so those chronically tight chronically held patterns of contracture in the pelvic floor muscles obturators included is driving pain patterns and somebody doesn't even know they're holding chronically
0: so So what what would that do in pregnancy with a woman who's pregnant who's about to give birth what would that look like for her
1: well it could look like pelvic floor pain it could also look like urinary frequency and urgency because the obturator can actually pull on the neck of the urethra in a certain way so that kind of burn you know if there's burning frequency or urgency in urination i will always check obturator muscles to see if they're uh over firing and i also look at other pelvic floor muscles to see if they're too long too short or short and weak because often they are weak and that's why they're short and i work with exercises i uh Really admire the work of Janet Holm, who's a PT in Missoula, Montana, and she wrote a brilliant book called Solving the Mystery of the Pelvic Rotator Cup. It's one of my favorite books ever. And I learned so much theory about obturators versus adductors in terms of thinking of the pelvis like a closed pin, right? If if it's tight in the front, it's open in the back at the sacroiliac joints. And if it's tight in the sacroiliac joints, it might be overly open at the pubic symphysis in the front. So working structurally with these exercises returns the agency to the person whose pelvis it is to balance them the strength between over-adduction and over-external rotation. You know, a lot of times in pregnancy, women start to waddle, their feet turn out just to balance the cantilevered weight of the child as it's developing in their belly so then they're, because their abdominals can't help support their posture, they've got to overfire the back body line, the lower uh, buttock muscles, and then that can create some nerve compression, not just on the sciatic nerve, but also on the obturator nerve and the pedendal nerve and the at the front of the pelvis. There's so many things that can happen, but it has to do with what somebody's posture like before they were pregnant and what's their predilection and where are they strong, where are they weak. I bring that back into functional balance for them
0: so let's take a woman then from that pregnancy if she doesn't get that resolved what might happen in labor to create maybe some some trauma for her if if these types of things are already existing right um trying to help great you're working with women with pelvic trauma but we're trying to even hopefully get women so that they're not even getting there
1: Right. So I do what's called a birth rehearsal with women, which is this, sound, I, I don't know how to talk about this. So hopefully I'm not going to shock people too much, but I will put my entire uh, open fist, not a, not a tight fist, but uh, my whole hand in someone's vagina when they're close to turn, have them breathe, have them move and push my hand out. That gives women uh, so much confidence that something almost the size of a baby's head went in and they could push it out because if you've never done this before and you don't know how it's going to feel. When you're actually in labor and let's just say there's already nerve impingement happening and that adds to the pain and the pain trips up panic and then there's failure to progress and the labor stalls and then fetal distress and then the C-section and it just turns into something that nobody wanted in the first place. Whereas instead, the idea of Coaching someone how to move and breathe in labor much more actively. People have no idea how much like a fish moving through water they're going to become to move a baby through. But if they could feel that while they're fully pregnant with something in their vagina that they can have agency to move out, they become confident. And that's when I start to see outcomes of women even with first time labor where their labor is three hours, four hours, and there's no complication, no tearing. It's not perineal massage. This is how you actually move a baby out of the body. So I, I, I'm very, you know, it's, I remember I was sitting at Ina Gaspin's feet way back in the nineties in a workshop at the um, pre and perinatal psychology conferences in San Diego. And she was describing how she would say to women, do you know how big, and I'm going to say this on the air, how big your pussy's going to (laughs) get to allow that baby to come through? And she would make this, you know, 10 centimeter circle to prepare them somatically for what was going to happen in their body. And I thought, wait a minute, that's all good. You know, you're painting a picture, but what if they could actually have the embodied experience of, doing something about that prior to birth. So uh, so I started experimenting, and it's so far been quite
0: a successful approach to birth preparation.
2: That's, that's amazing. I think Dr. Toxel has a question. Well, that was actually one of my questions in terms of have you noticed that your work with women... And releasing those pinch nerves actually helps the quality of their labor and birth. But you did touch up on that a little bit and what you specifically do to prepare. And now I want to ask for those women that come in postpartum, have you noticed if there's a lot of correlation between a lot of scar tissue, a lot of pain, and then, you know, postpartum depression? And their ability to bond with their children.
1: I can cite so many instances where that went the wrong direction, where someone had a perineal, uh, they had uh, a perineal tear, which then got infected and the infection made it so they couldn't sit to breastfeed. They could only lie down to breastfeed, but then they had a shoulder injury and then they couldn't even lie down to breastfeed. And so they stopped breastfeeding and handed it off to their husband to bottle feed and then missed that crucial bonding um, window with their baby. And it's not like these things can't be repaired. From my perspective, everything can be repaired. I worked on women in their seventies who are 50 years you know, past their, their birth who are having painful intercourse and it's not because of, um, of menopausal issues, it's because of scar tissue is related to birth and return them to sexual function. It's possible. Uh, well i would I also get interrupted often because of injury and a woman feels she's failed or she's had it she had a c-section when she wanted a home birth and there was a hospital transfer in in the process of it and again that feeling of failure i couldn't do it on my own i didn't manage to have the birth i'd envision and that could be troubling even though people say oh just be happy you and your baby are healthy But that doesn't scratch the itch that feels like, well, I wanted a different outcome. I wanted to feel in charge of my birth instead of feeling like my birth happened to me. Um, So returning that empowerment and talking about it in detail after the fact is part of postpartum care. How, you know, grieving what didn't happen that you wanted to happen so you could actually let go of it and move through that to what actually did happen and the needs of the present moment, which are your needs for a better postpartum care in a self-care way, and then the needs of the baby as well, and then the needs of the family as a whole. It all needs to be uh, integrated.
2: Do you get a lot of women coming in for the pelvic floor care who at first say to you, man, I'm never doing that again. Even if you do, um, even if this works and you know they're coming with that expectation. And then like Erin, then she goes and has her second pregnancy. And then that would lead up to a follow-up question. Do these women actually start seeing you prenatally as well? The ones that came in originally for postnatal care.
1: I um, get women referred into my practice occasionally who are ready for a birth rehearsal. And sometimes I've never met them. And it's this incredibly intimate, incredibly dramatic thing in an afternoon together. You know, I spend about two hours in that process. So that's happening with slightly more frequency than it did. Um, I don't think I've had, well, that's not true. I'm working with someone now who has two children and she is wondering, she's had two C-sections. She would really love to have a vaginal birth. And I've worked with women who wanted a VVAC, a uh, vaginal birth after C-section. And some of them have successfully had it, and some um, sometimes there are injuries in the pelvis. I worked with a woman whose pelvis had been crushed in an accident. And she really wanted a vaginal birth, but I could feel the blockage of the scar that was beyond what I could reach from an intravaginal or intraanal approach. And I could feel that it was going to be problematic. And I said, I really can't guarantee this is going to be possible. But here's what we can do. She ended up having to have a C-section, but she felt like she had done everything possible. So that relieved her of that. Well, if I only, you know, I could have had it. I could have had it differently if I had um, known what to do. But she did not know what to do. She did what she could do, and so she could let herself off the hook um the births you had imagined
0: yeah that and that's so important um this whole thing of empowerment and women not feeling like a failure and Mm -hmm. that that sort of recognition of whatever they're feeling yes yes you have your baby. Yes. You know, you should be happy with that, but you're still, they're still entitled to their feelings yes—and and and maybe needing to go through even a grieving process of not having the birth that they envisioned or, you know, for whatever reason. So I think that's super important. Now you are but one person here in Los Angeles. What would our listeners, who would they look for? Because you've had this specific type of training, mm-hmm. but if they're looking for someone who is, is doing what you're doing, I know we, we'd love to just clone you and have you all over the place. Right. But. So there are, I have students.
1: I did graduate my first professional training of teaching people my approach to pelvic floor work in 2018 So they would look for somebody who's trained in something called STREAM, S-T-R-E-A-M, stands for scar tissue, remediation, education, and management. So they would look for a STREAM provider. There are about 18 certified STREAM providers scattered all over the globe, which is still not a very big number, but there are some here in Los Angeles, there are uh, some in San Diego, there are some in Belgium, and some in Australia. Um, there I've also done weekend workshops teaching a more cursory rapid-fire approach to this in the UK and Australia. So there's people, a few more people who have studied uh, scar tissue remediation in a, a more attenuated setting in the UK and then others in Australia. I did teach at sexological bodywork trainings in Canada and Australia, where I taught long sections on scar tissue mediation at one training in Canada, one training in Australia. But I, since I'm the um, anatomy uh, provider for sexological bodywork, I include at least a discussion of scar tissue and dim, you know film demonstrations of the way that I work with it as part of sexological body workers work trainings that happened in the uk australia and the us so you could look at the most superficial level for a sexological body worker but there are as many sexological body work there's a huge variety of way different people work some people focus way more in the arousal end of the pool some people focus more in the therapeutic end of the pool and i've always been very much more in the therapeutic end because that's what's interesting to
0: me How if a if a a patient wanted to travel or I say patient because I'm a chiropractor, if a person wanted to travel and let's just say they needed to come to Los Angeles, would there be a certain set of a time period that you could do the the work so it, it it would be manageable to like make a, an extended holiday sort of thing? Yes, and I've done that. People
1: fly in from all over to see me. I work with people from Pakistan and people from Canada, people from the UK, people from Africa, people from South America. They fly in, and I'll see them three times, one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off. So they have time to integrate and time to uh, just be with themselves and their emotions between sessions because a lot comes up. And I don't think it's useful to do three days in a row. So I recommend three sessions over five days and some and longer if they can. Sometimes people are here visiting relatives. They're going to be here for two weeks or so. And so I'll see them once every, I don't know, five days or so over that period. So I'm looking for a little more time between sessions for integration. And sometimes, you know, there can be a little soreness after working. And the, I feel... Bodies need a time to uh, I'm really not about pushing through because people have pushed through so much already before they come to me. So I really want them to have time to heal at an organic rate for their system. That's my uh, preference, if possible. But if need be, we can get a lot done in five days and three sessions. I rarely need to see more people more than three times. Unless it's someone, Erin, I saw her the most of anyone. Because she had such a profound and uh, complex tear in her pelvic floor. And she needed to modify what she was eating in order to build the resources to actually have enough collagen to heal it. But it took a long time to get to that with her. I'm like, why isn't this done yet? It should be done. I'm like, then she said, well, plant-based diet. I'm like, oh. I consider a little salmon and some collagen powder and see if that gives your body some more resources to repair and sometimes that's necessary for people sometimes it's necessary that they actually give their body some amino acid extra amino acid building blocks to build that collagen
2: and so That's actually incredible. So you give that nutrition, you start giving that nutritional advice as well, Erin, because hers was so extreme. Um, And this leads into my next question, because you've created a curriculum now that it's really close to being released for online learning. Um, So can you tell us more about that? And is it for professionals interested in going to this career or the general public? And then how do people find it? Okay,
1: so it's been a really long journey since I um, taught my first training. I learned a lot, and I learned what I would never do again, which was uh, the way it was set up was too much for everybody, too much trauma and too much, too much trauma in too little time with no time to process their experience as practitioners learning in and on their bodies and then taking on almost immediately people coming in from the outside as models to learn on and then they're all their trauma it was just like we were all so blown out after the training (laughs) it was hard (laughs) to even function I collapsed for a year after that training it was so intense and so what I've decided to do now, and COVID is you know, th- sort of throwing a wrench in the works because teaching the hands-on aspect of this is a complete unknown until COVID resolves in some way because I'm just not asking people to come together in the intimacy of hands-on, hands-in pelvic floor work to with that kind of proximity. And then to have the rich experience they need to work on a number of bodies is just not safe under the present circumstances in my opinion. So I don't know when, I'll be able to offer the hands-on aspect of this training. And I'm not offering certification as a stream practitioner until I know that it's safe to learn hands-on, hands-in with a group. Until that time, I have 18 weeks of very intensive anatomy, physiology, somatics, psychology, information that people can study online. And I'm going to make that a piece of it available um, starting probably in a month or so. So people can do the online learning at their own pace. And if they want to go into a training modality, then I'll select the people who want to actually be ready when the hands-on is safe again, uh, do real-time class online with that group of people. So I'll talk about the week's lesson, we'll frame it, question and answer. So it'll be just like learning in a classroom Only we won't be doing the hands-on. Um, that's how that's what's coming up um,
0: in the in the world of stream and then what about some sort of online program for the lay person out there to discover all these things that you're talking about that as you say there's this gap in knowledge of our, our body's anatomy and physiology and function and
1: it's coming <laughs> uh, I'm starting another website called the whole health project and the whole health project is a I consider it I call it the sea monster because it's, got so, it's a hydra with so many heads it's anatomy and physiology it's nutrition it's self care it's somatic psychology and it's when I work I work in four domains or dimensions, here's my intake form. You can see it's divided into four quadrants. And those quadrants are biochemistry, biomechanics, emotion, and scar tissue. So this website that I'm working on uh, collaboratively with a colleague uh, whose name is Rachel Fell. She's a a multivalent, very talented uh, educator. She's helping me organize my curriculum. I mean, you know, if you looked at my Evernote, it's my external brain, but it's got 12,000 pieces of information in it. So how to organize it to teach it in a way where people could do self-paced learning through little workshops, many classes, reading PDFs, looking at articles within each domain. If they're interested in biochemistry, then there's books on diet, books on nutrition, books on psychology and the psychology of nutrition, and they can kind of design their own adventure in an educational way. And most of this stuff is going to be free because I really feel it's a time for democratization of self-care and whole health be available to people so they can start taking more, having more sovereignty in their body and more agency in their self-care. But they need the right information, and I'm very old school about stuff. You know, I read Bernard Jensen, I do coffee enemas, I tell people about old school colon cleanses and kidney cleanses and why you would want to do a gallbladder flush and all of that stuff that I think if more of us were eating properly and cleansing properly, we'd feel better. It's not like the world's getting any less polluted unfortunately
0: no i spend way more time now talking about toxins um in my practice which is why we i started things like my youtube channel and we're doing this podcast it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely the time for education and i feel the same way that you do this this stuff should be free and um you know, eventually there will be other aspects where I go into more detail that people may want to pay for, but the basics, for goodness sakes. I mean, Yes,
1: the basics, the basics that people should know, but somehow have gotten trivialized through the blogosphere often, you know, like people think that they fixate on one aspect and think that's enough, but they need to see that holism is real and, uh, they need to see, Pardon me, a bigger picture. And that bigger picture could be painted. I mean, I'm in love with this model of, I call the four dimensions of health and uh, it's pretty complete. I organized my dissertation that way of looking at all the influences of what limits uh, scar tissue healing. So biomechanics, chemistry, emotions, and then how the scar itself responds to inputs, negative inputs through each of those dimensions and you know why you would end up having a painful scar from childbirth 50 years later i mean wow that's a long time to wait to get something like that resolved but you have to understand you have to identify what's keeping the pain aspect of it going and that's going to be different for different people
0: it, you're you're right it's an individualized aspect which is what creates you know as i always say there's the science there's the art and milk of those two and um yeah just and even our our sixth sense and intuition when a patient comes in really what is what the best way to start is Mm -hmm. um if you had one piece of advice for a woman out there who um let's just say the ideal person i think for you she's had a birth um she she's thinking about maybe having a second birth, uh, whether that first birth had trauma or not, what would your best advice be for that for that woman who already has, we're talking really to new moms, but they could be a new mom on a second go. Sure. What, would your, what would your advice be? What, one piece of advice.
1: Gosh, my one piece of advice would be to please replete yourself before you get pregnant again. That's my advice is to replace what you just expended making a human being and realized that that human being did not spontaneously appear. It came from your protein, your minerals, your hair, your teeth, your body, your skin, your hormones. And that unless you take care of replacing all of that uh, lost in the Chinese medicine terminology, the lost jing, your essence, then the next baby will be affected. They're not getting everything they need to be all of who they should be.
0: I love that. Please repeat. I give you a thumbs up on that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we really appreciate you taking time to come on and talk to us and speak to these women who didn't probably didn't even know that this was an option. I didn't even know this was an option. Uh, the closest I've ever gotten to it was um, I used to work with an occupational therapist who would do some internal work um, Mm. on the side for pregnant moms, but that wasn't the entirety of her scope um, Mm. or she wasn't specialized in that. So, I feel so much better knowing that you're around right now because I'm in those years where I am contemplate pregnancy may come sooner rather than later at this point in my life. Mm. So just knowing that you're around having that support, knowing that I don't have to go through this without some sort of way to heal. If there is any trauma and I mean somebody willing to go and work with the pelvic floor, that's not something that a lot of people work with. So we appreciate you so much and all the work that you've done and continue to do. It's,
1: it's time for women to have more options Mm -hmm. and this is just a new way of looking at a problem that's been around ever since we became bipedal. You know, it's birth is our, our weak link in, as a species, I think. And unfortunately, as time goes on and um, ecological pressures increase, it's affecting our birthing and our ability to birth you know, the time spent sitting and the time, you know, where you're not eating right and the pollution and so forth and so on, that we can do more to optimize those things. But then if we have given birth and you need to uh, do some repair and some replenishment, that help is available. That's the, that's the notion.
0: Well, Ellen, how can people find you? Oh, they can find me through my website. It's very simple, ellenheed.com. And we'll put that in the description too. We'll put that link in and any other information that we were talking to. Maybe you can get us, um, we'll we'll get the name of um, the, the book you were talking about and the practitioner and we'll, we'll put all those things in the description for our listeners. So it's ellenheed.com. Is that what,
1: Yes, and the website that's more educational in nature will be wholehealthproject.spaces.
0: .spaces. Okay. Okay. .spaces. All right, so I've got that down to be able to put that in. Yeah, that, that will be
1: running, uh, I believe, I can't believe it, but I think it's going to be end of next week. <laughs> and you know minimum viable product just the skeletal form of it but it will
0: continue to grow and expand um, and become its full sea monster So, i have no doubt uh that you're going to make that happen for sure well again thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your expertise uh the fashion world's loss certainly is pregnant women's gain and we, uh, we hope maybe to have you on again at some point once you get your whole um, your wholehealthproject.spaces website up in the air so we can maybe talk about that for women. So exciting. Thank you so much for your work
1: and this podcast. It's really so important. We need to get the word out.
2: And we're back after having an incredible discussion with Ellen Heed, who specializes in treating pelvic floor injuries postpartum, um, but also working prenatally in a very specific way to help us prepare for that labor and birth. So the psychosomatic aspect I've heard of before, basically meaning mind-body connection. So certain ways of thinking, you've probably heard about the placebo effect. Certain things you think about in your mind can have a physical effect on the body. And vice versa, when we get hurt, sometimes in our mind we're less equipped to deal with certain things of stress. We can't sleep. So of course, why wouldn't this apply to mothers who have come out of a fairly traumatic birth process for them with a lot of injury and then not address their pain because pain is a very subjective experience but in all mothers it can affect the ability to bond with the baby when you're in so much pain yourself and your body is less equipped to deal with that stress you can't form and again our old friend oxytocin comes back in. When you're under stress, when you're in pain, you're not going to be expressing that bonding, that love hormone as much. And that's not to say that moms with that amount of pain and post-trauma can't bond with their babies, but to make that experience easier, less of a hassle, make it easier for both mom and baby because those connections that we form early in life affect us, again, through her whole entire life. It doesn't stop. So what are your thoughts on seeing a lot of pelvic... Have you seen moms with a lot of pelvic floor trauma? What have you done chiropractic... Mm -hmm. Chiropractically? Yep. (laughs) Can't pronounce my own profession today.
0: It's okay. Well, this is how really my patients have helped me grow in what I do. And a lot of times what I learn as far as techniques go or different ways to help them or even referrals like Ellen is through presentation of a patient who has a specific issue. And I always try first to go back to those chiropractic principles, physical stress, emotional stress, and toxic stress, which could also mean metabolic and nutritional. So the physical aspect of what's happened to the the tissue in their body, whether it was damage there, whether there's scar tissue that's built up, um, or uh, the the damage of alignment that goes on. So there's then the the aspect of okay, when we give birth, we're supposed to push out the uterus and, and nothing else, right? And I sorry, push out the baby I'm and like, not what? No, we're supposed to <laughs> sorry we're supposed to push the uter the, the baby out and not the uterus and and every other internal organ is supposed to stay inside so that's there's the prolapse issue and having found ways to help with that so it's um it's very interesting because yes these are some of the things that can happen with birth we try to help so that they don't happen but it is definitely a possibility um so I am so glad to have met Ellen. have I know of other pelvic floor therapists, but it seems she's really made that mind-body connection that's so important. So instead of just going in there and working on scar tissue, she's relating it back to the trauma. And this is something similar to what I do with neuroemotional technique and, and this sort of process that I learned to deal with the emotional component and I use that with even some of the, the Chinese philosophy she was talking about with meridians. And the physical part comes from the tapping on the spine, but she's actually in there on the tissue while that emotional aspect is being connected and releasing. So it's another avenue in for patients to have an option to be able to go to. So this is the beauty of working with like-minded professionals. Um, And then there's the metabolic and toxic slash nutritional aspect that she was talking about in that while we're trying to work at these traumatic levels, that is great. That needs to be done, especially if a woman wants to have a vaginal birth after a traumatic first birth, whether it it was vaginal or C-section, but this aspect of replenishment is so important. And I, this is something I also talk with my patients about. Because sometimes women are just wanting to pump the babies out one after the other. And the body needs time, A, to physically recover and nutritionally recover. So that you actually have some nutrition and some vitamins and minerals to build that baby. But if you're not giving your body enough time to recover, then physically that's gonna be difficult. Emotionally, that might be difficult as well, but nutritionally, those building blocks can't be there. So I thought that was a really good point that Ellen made about um, replenishment and, and that being her message for any woman out there who has given birth. And I know that to be for myself because it really does take some time for our bodies to come back into balance after birth. Um, I couldn't imagine just, you know, one after the other. So that is, uh, that's what I have to say about that. Great. (laughs) Anything else, Dr. Toxel? No, I think that covers it fully. Thank you everybody for joining us. And we will see you next time on Your Baby's Brilliant Brain. Bye. Bye.